guys, so we are back today with Emma. Say hi, Emma. Hi, Emma. <laughs> so this week, I'm going to tell you the story of the Mad Trapper of Rat River, which is in the Yukon, which, fun fact, I actually tried to record this with someone else, and I had it recording and everything, and then when it, I hit done and everything, didn't save. Oh, that's fun. So technically this is my second time, but this will be the first heard version. Well, you know what? You're just going to be that much better at saying it. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's what we can hope, isn't it? <laughs> so um, I'll start off with the short bit of background I have on him. So he was born sometime between 1890 and 1900. He's known as Albert Johnson, but it is believed to be a pseudonym. They don't actually know his real name. I also don't think we know how they came up with that name. It's just like a John Doe type of name, just like a basic name they went with. And like they just made it up? Yeah, pretty much. Um, and he is suspected to be Scandinavian-American. And estimated to be 35 to 40 years old. So our lovely little story starts in July 1931. So I will be calling him Albert Johnson or just Johnson for this. Um, because that is the name he was known by. To... It's a lot easier to say than whatever you called him before. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot easier to, than to just keep saying the Mad Trapper. So... <laughs> So, in July 1931, Johnson arrived in Fort McPherson, Northwest Territories, after going down the Peel River on the 19th. He was questioned by RCMP Constable Edgar Miller, but said little. Miller reported that he had a Scandinavian accent and appeared to be well-groomed and appeared to have plenty of money for supplies. He first used a raft built by Indigenous people to the Mackenzie River Delta. He then built an 8 by 10 foot cabin on the bank of the Rat River. He did not have a trapping license, which was considered odd for someone living in the bush like he was. It was like everyone just kind of had one. During this time, a lot of outsiders fleeing the Great Depression were taking over traditional northern indigenous trapping areas, so that is one theory of who he is and where he came from. And I'm guessing... The name Albert Johnson might have come out of his conversation with the RCMP constable, but it also says he didn't really say anything, so I don't know. December of the same year, 1931, indigenous trappers complained to the RCMP in Eklavik that Johnson was tampering with their traps. He said he was hanging them on trees and tripping them. When someone went to talk to him about it, he pointed a gun at them and told them to leave. So it sounds like this guy... Sounds like this guy uh, was a little bit guilty. Yeah, yeah, he, he was definitely up something to something. about him. <laughs> yep. On the... And it only gets more intense from here. 20, <laughs> on the 26th, still December, RCMP Special Constable Joe Bernard and Constable Alfred King trekked 97 kilometers from Eklavik to Johnson's Cabin. Johnson was home, but didn't acknowledge the constables, 
until King looked in the window. He then covered the window with a sack, and they just gave up and went back to get a search warrant, because he obviously was not coming to the door and was not going to comply unless they had a warrant. Now, what kind of sack was it? Was it his or a bag? Oh, my God. <laughs> Hopefully not his ball sacks. Um, I was thinking of balls, I'm just saying. I was thinking, like, potato. Yeah, that, would be, that probably makes more sense. <laughs> but who knows? It does not say. Although I feel like if it was his genitalia, it would say. You know what? That's, that is probably a pretty key point. But also, in 1931, it might have been considered a little too gay to see someone else's penis. Mm-hmm. Especially with their testicles. Yep. <laughs> Anyways. Anyway. Bernard and King returned five days later with two other constables. Johnson again refused to speak to them, so they decided to execute the search warrant. I thought they were going to say execute him, and I was like, is this how the story ends? This is. <laughs> no, it is a much longer story than that. King forced open the door and was met by gunfire from Johnson. The other constables returned fire before they managed to get King out of there and back to safety. And he did, King did eventually recover. So, after this, him shooting at officers who literally just wanted to talk to him, like, he, I don't think they, he even gave them a chance to even say why they were there. A manhunt ensued, naturally. A group of Nine men and 42 dogs was formed, which I want to do the math on that. So that is a whopping 4.6666666667 dogs per person. That's a lot of fucking dogs. That's a lot of fucking dogs. They also took with them 20 pounds of dynamite. Because, in case he refused to cooperate. What, so they were going to blow up the house? Yep, to blast him out. You can't get the guy out of the house, you get the house out of the house. I guess. That's their logic. (laughs) When they got there, they had to thaw the dynamite in their jackets. Because it was around minus 40. So the dynamite had completely frozen on the way up. And you're saying this was a group of all men, right? Yeah, and dogs. Yeah, that checks out. Yeah, because they had to go 97 kilometers on foot, which is quite a fucking track. Yeah, no, I wouldn't care that much. You can stay in your house, have fun. (laughs) Yeah. So there's kind of, there's two different versions of what happened when they got there. So, the unofficial version that is the more well-known version of the story states that they threw the dynamite onto the roof, causing it to cave in after the explosion, and then the RCMP officers attempted to rush in, but were met with gunfire from Johnson from a five-foot dugout he had dug beneath the cabin. And the standoff lasted 15 hours until around 4 a.m., but no one was seriously hurt. And then they retreated for additional help. 
How many how many men was this? Nine. And against one. Yeah. And they retreated. Yeah. Nine men and 42 dogs. Just sick the fucking dogs on him before he even gets a chance to grab the gun. That's what I'm saying. Like, come on. It's not that I'll throw the dynamite. That shit was explosive without even putting a flame to it. What? You'd look at it the wrong way and it would go off. <laughs> <laughs> However, the official RCMP report... Mm. Only, it only differs a little, but it says the dynamite barely da- damaged the cabin. But but later it was destroyed. Not by the dynamite, of course. Of course not. No, no. The RCMP would never. They would never do such a thing. They would never hurt anyone. No. Those guys that ride Mises? No, no, no. So, word of this started to spread, of course, of this whole shit show. Um, So, they did leave at some point. And then they returned on January 14th. And they had planned on coming sooner, but there was a blizzard. Because, you know, it is um, December and January in the Yukon. So. um, Yeah. But by the time that they got back there, he was long gone. Which is, yeah, I mean, of course, you destroy his cabin, he's gotta go somewhere. What do you think, you destroy the entire top half of the place he's trying to live, and he's just gonna stay there? Yeah, he's just gonna live in the little hole until you come back and arrest him. Yeah, he's waiting for you, hurry up. So they eventually caught up with him again on the 30th of January. And now, I realize now, I don't know if they just got there on the 14th and were like, okay, let's just go find him, or if they went back again. I'm not sure, but I think, like, the way things were written was they just kept going until they found him on the 30th. That sounds like it would be the case, because if we're talking 90 kilometers, there's no way they're going to go all the way fucking back just to... Go find him again. Like, they probably had a lead as to what direction he went in, and they just kept going. Yeah. Because odds are they had stuff to sleep. Yeah, you would assume, because you can't do um, 97 kilometers in a day. That's like... Are you checking? Yes. (laughs) Also on snowshoes. Try, like, from you to, like, Brampton or Mississauga. Okay. I was going to do it in an entirely different way. Oh, I was saying just, like, try on Google Maps. It'll tell you how long it would take to walk. So this is 100 kilometers. And it is saying it would take you 20 hours to walk there. So less than a day to walk 94 kilometers. It changed. Oh, whatever. I mean... It's only three kilometer difference. But yeah, so they wouldn't, they probably made stops. They probably stopped overnight at least once. So yeah, they would have had stuff. Especially there and back. Mm-hmm. So they caught up with him on the 30th and surrounded him in a thicket. A firefight ensued during which Johnson shot and killed Constable Edgar Millen through the heart. 
Millen Creek, which is a creek on Rat River, was later named after him and a memorial placed there. And the group retreated once again. Awesome. The manhunt group grew to include local Inuvialot and Quichin who would be able to navigate the backcountry better. So local indigenous peoples. They believed Johnson was on his way to the Yukon, because right now we're still in the Northwest Territories. Okay. The okay. RCMP blocked two passages over the Richardson Mountains to hopefully stop him, obviously. And I'm guessing that was just the main pass that were over the thing? I would assume so, if it was just two. Okay. The RCMP... What? Dumb question. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's a fair question. Um, why did they pick two? I don't know. I guess those are just the typical ones, or the ones, probably the paths that made the most sense based on where they last saw him. Oh, yeah, good point. But, I mean, out in the wilderness, in the Canadian territories, in January... I'm sure you can very easily end up off track, not going the way you intended. Good point. The RCMP also hired Wilfred Wap May from the Canadian Airways to help search from the air. Oh, nice. He arrived on February 5th in a new ski-equipped Belenka Belenza monoplane. That's my birthday. February 5th? Yeah. Sorry, I get confused because I was talking about airplanes. <laughs> oh, my birthday is an airplane. <laughs> Your birthday is a monoplane? <laughs> I was born on an airplane. That would be a pretty cool story for you. That would be a really cool and story. Your mom. So May, the pilot, found Johnson had climbed 7,000 feet or 2,100 meters over the peak of the mountain, and he saw his traps on the far side of the mountain. So, their blocks didn't really work. They were too obvious, basically. Probably, yeah. On February 14th, May discovered that Johnson had been eluding the party by walking in caribou tracks. And this hit um, I know, it's clever. It obviously hit his footprints and allowed him to travel quickly without needing to use his snowshoes. Damn, that's actually really smart. Right? Yeah. Kind of obvious, though, but also not. Yeah. It's kind of like a, oh, yeah, of course you do that. But then, like, until you hear about it, you don't think of it. Kind of like with men not offending women. Anyways. Oh, a theory. Let's have a podcast on that. <laughs> oh, girl, we could, we could, we could. Um, we could get into a whole segment of how did men offend me this week. Actually, not really, because I've mostly just been doing Christmas stuff. Anyways, he only ever left his caribou footprint trail at night to make camp, which May spotted one of his camps. And he radioed back to the RCMP, leading them to Johnson on February 17th. 
So it took three days for the person in the sky to find him. Well, I think more so the fact he would have been ahead of the group. So, because he saw his tracks on the 14th, and he was able to lead them there, and they got there by the 17th. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess time. People need time to travel. Yeah, and they probably also, by the sounds of it, assumed that he hadn't gone right over the mountain. They underestimated him for the last time. Yeah. Probably not the last time. Well, yeah. So, on the 17th, as the team of RCMP, Indigenous people, and dogs came around the bend, a bend in the river, they spotted Johnson a few hundred yards ahead. Johnson tried to run away, but he didn't have his snowshoes on, so he couldn't move very well. And instead of a chase, a firefight broke out, during which one RCMP officer was seriously wounded. And Johnson was killed by a shot to the left side of his pelvis. You look disappointed. That's just a very specific shot. Yeah. Well, they would have just been all shooting at him, and that's where once the shot that killed him struck. Just the fact that someone specified that's where, like, his pelvis. <laughs> I would think, like, his... I don't know. <laughs> well, he was a few hundred yards away, too. So it's kind of just, like, shooting and hoping for the best. So the bullet entered on an acute angle and it passed through his vital tissues, bowels, and main arteries. Okay, now I understand why they specified. Yeah. That's Got it. probably how they know which shot's the one that killed him, because of the angle. Uh-huh. And May, the pilot, landed and picked up the wounded officer and took him to safety, and he was later credited with saving the man's life. Yay! in Canadian and American money was found on Johnson, as well as teeth with gold fillings, which they believed to be his own, but that was never confirmed, a dead bird and a dead squirrel, gold, a pocket compass, a razor, because of course when you're running from the police you want to make sure you're well shaved. Mm, looking fresh. Yep. A knife. Gotta look good for the mug shot. Fish hooks. Or the final shot. <laughs> yeah, really. Nails. And a large amount of Beecham's pills, which I googled, and they are a laxative invented by Thomas Beecham. Why, why does he need... All the, eating all the dead squirrels, I guess, had him backed up. I, I don't know. Yeah, I wasn't agreeing with them for some reason. It's the squirrels. It's always the squirrels. I thought it was the bird. No, well, maybe. Probably both. Probably both. I'm sure there is some sort of reason, like, whatever he was eating wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he just had pre-existing issues. I don't know. We don't know. We don't judge here. No, I feel like this is... Judge- for this. 
I feel like this is also not of all things the thing to unpack is his bowel movements. Well, you know, or lack the people want what people want. The people want what the people want. Yes. <laughs> so during this entire sh- entire chase and all of the encounters with the RCMP except for the very first one that I mentioned where he barely said anything. After that one, all the encounters and the entire chase, he never said a single word. What the hell? But he laughed when he shot and killed Millen. Okay. And he had traveled over 137 kilometers in 33 days after leaving leaving his cabin. Which is impressive enough when you also don't consider the fact of how much fucking snow there would have been. And the fact that he's following animal footprints. Yeah. To get away. Yeah. In 2007, 75 years after his death, forensic examiners found that one of his feet was longer than the other and his tailbone was asymmetrical causing his spine to curve slightly, a.k.a. scoliosis. Okay. That's just a random fun fact that I wanted to throw in there. That, honestly, the way you set that up, I was like, is that why he is a fucking weirdo? I mean, he cer- it certainly would have left him in constant pain, so maybe. Maybe that's why he's backed up. Is that a... <laughs> I don't <Never> know. <laughs> I don't know much about scoliosis. I'm sure you could Google it and find out if you really want to know. I personally don't really. (laughs) I honestly would if my phone wasn't dead. Do you want me to look it up for you? Yes, please. Okay. (laughs) Because I know it's a condition people live with day to day, but considering your spine is... Bent. Would that mean that anything? I guess it's case dependent. Hmm. Okay. Yes. Digestive issues can be caused by scoliosis, such as stomach pains, constipation, IBS, acid reflux, and heartburn. So yes. Hell that, yeah. That could explain I, the pills. I win. So. Shitty quiz. What? I said I win the shitty quiz. Yay! So my next point, like, or my next section is about their search for his identity. So the RCMP released photos of his corpse and sent them throughout Canada and the U.S. That's nice. Yeah. Some people send nudes. Maddie sends dead people. (laughs) Oh, I could have done it. Some people said naked bodies. Other people's, or Maddie sends dead bodies. Whatever. I'll overthink it. We'll be here for hours. (laughs) Okay. Let me just get the photos up so I can send them to you. Ugh, it's not a pretty face. Especially because, well, he's dead. Oh, awesome. Wow. (laughs) Isn't he stunning? Easy she lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, um, he really tried to smile for the camera. Oh, yeah. And then, 
there's more. Well, I'm going to show you the pilot because his photo comes up a lot and I feel like he deserves recognition. So this is the pilot. Me? Yes. Wow. Nice. He definitely does photos better than the dead guy. Well, I feel like it's not hard to look better in photos than a corpse. You never know. That's true. That is true. So, that photo I sent you of his corpse, um, as well as some side profile ones, were sent throughout Canada and the U.S. to try and figure out who the fuck he was. It's pretty fucked up. The original investigation in the 1930s focused on a man named Arthur Nelson. Nelson had traveled to the Yukon from Dees Lake, B.C. in the 1927-1931 time period. He owned similar guns to the ones found among Johnson's belongings, and he also was known to trap in a similar area. Author Dick North wrote a book wrote a book titled Trackdown in 1989. He theorized that Albert Johnson, Arthur Nelson, and John Johnson were all the same person. John Johnson had served time in San Quentin and Folsom Prison, and his physical description is similar to the Mad Trappers. And North even discovered that John Johnson was from Norway, which... If you remember, they uh, believed Albert Johnson, the Mount Trapper, might have been of Scandinavian descent. And John Johnson was born John Conrad Johnson, spelled J-O-N-S-E-N, instead of J-O-H-N-S-O-N in 1898 in Bardu, Norway, which is north of the Arctic Circle. However, the expensive dental work Albert received didn't match up with John's life. And the DNA from Johnson's, sorry, from John Johnson's great nephew, Ole Getz, disproved that John and Albert were the same person. The Johnson family from Pictou, Nova Scotia. I know there's a lot of Johns, a lot of Johnsons. There's a lot of Johns. Just trying to keep up with me. Long John. Long John Silver. Um, John Jingleheimer Schmidt. John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. Oh, my bad. God, get it right. <laughs> so the Johnson family from Pictou, Nova Scotia have believed believed Albert was actually Owen Albert Johnson, one of their relatives. Owen left Pictou to find work in the U.S. at the beginning of the Great Depression. Their last letter from him was sent from Revelstoke, B.C. in early 1931. And after that, they never heard from him again. The family is currently seeking DNA testing, but that shit is expensive. Yeah, it's hard to find out if you're related to someone. Yeah. It'll make it easy. No, unless everyone submits to 23andMe, then... Mark Fremerlid's book, What Became of Sigvald Anyways, Was He the Mad Trapper of Rat River, which is quite a book title, theorized that Albert Johnson was really... And bear with me here. I'm going to try real hard 
pronounce this Norwegian name. But I only speak English, and even then, the jury's still out. Sigvald <laughs> Pedersen Hasgjold from Norway. Ah, yes, I know us. I can't even say the name to make fun of it. Sigvald, Sigvold. Sigvold was born in. No, was. He was. Oh, okay. Sorry, the way I wrote this confused me. So, okay. in 1927, Sigvold was 32, which would have made him 36 in 1931. Which, if you remember, they estimated the Mad Trapper's age to be 35 to 40, so that puts him in the right age range. And, again, he's Norwegian. He became obsessed that authorities were still looking, at, looking for him for evading conscription during World War I. He built a fortress-like cabin on Digby Island on the north coast of British Columbia, and he disappeared shortly after that. In August 2007, a forensics team put together by Myth Merchant Films exhumed Johnson's remains. They conducted a modern forensic examination, which would have been the same one that discovered his scoliosis, which I don't know why I didn't just put that in this section, but whatever. <laughs> the examination was documented in the book Mad Trap The Mad Trapper Unearthing a Mystery by Barbara Smith and The Hunt for the Mad Trapper by film by the Myth Merchant Film Company who had funded this. Isotopic analysis of his teeth showed up showed he most likely grew up in the Midwest USA, but Scandinavia was also a possibility. Which I find is very fascinating that they're able to figure out where you grew up based on your teeth. Oh, yeah. Like, that's just so fucking cool. It also helps because, like, I don't know about back then, but nowadays, like, some places have fluoride in the water, some don't. So that helps narrow it down. Yeah, and I know they'll also use, like, quality of dental work to narrow down who someone is if they have like a few contenders based on um like social socioeconomic status like the one guy they said it probably wasn't him because of the gold teeth mm-hmm. um so here i have again the scoliosis uh, he was approximately 35 years old and aside from the pelvis shot that had killed him, he was also shot in the thorax and one of his legs during the final gun battle. So he would have been done in any ways, but the pelvis shot was the deadly shot. He had a spiral fracture in his femur, which suggested that a bullet had hit an ammunition pouch that had been sitting on his hip and then exploded the ammunition into his leg. Ow. Yikes. Yes, very painful. And more about his dental work. Here's your... Yay! Yeah, your I was meant to be here. <laughs> his dental work was very expensive for the time and was potential... Why did I say it like that? Was potentially Super done fun. at a major center in New York or Chicago. They also obtained some future some DNA samples for future comparisons. 
And after their examination, his remains were reburied with full religious rites by local indigenous elders and the local priest, which neither of which were done at his original burial. They just plopped him in the plopped him in the ground. That's nice. So, DNA analysis has ruled out all potential identities that I listed above. So that family who's looking at the DNA testing. Apologies. Um, they are not the father. They are not the family. <laughs> you are not the father! And the crowd goes wild. In 2017, a familial DNA test was attempted, but technical issues with the DNA, which I don't know details about, but probably has to do with the fact that he died in the 30s, and the sample wasn't taken in 2000, until 2007, probably had something to do with the DNA. Yeah, that makes sense. But the DNA, t- so the DNA test was delayed until 2021 when Othram developed an adequate sequence for the testing. And did it turn out he was 100% that bitch? Yes. <laughs> hey. <laughs> the testing identified that he had... And I don't, I am not going to be able to say some of these words and names correctly, and I thoroughly apologize, but it's going to be a rough, no offense was intended. It's going to be a rough few words here, okay? Buckle up, baby. I'll also, like, spell to clarify why the fuck I can't say these, but the testing identified that he had ancestors from Hunger, Hanger? Spelled H A and the A has like a little O on top of it. A A no fuck H A with a little O on top of it. N G E R. Kultrop, spelled K U L L T R O P, and Kazjov, K A two dots over the A V S J O two dots over the O. They also identified two of his ancestors were Gustav Magnusson, who lived 1776 to 1853, and Britta Svensdotter, who lived 1781 to 1846. And his, wow. his DNA is being test, further tested to find any possible descendants. So... They were only, so far, have only been able to find people who came before him, but hopefully they'll be able to find descendants or descendants of relatives, like if he had brothers or sisters or cousins or what whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately that may take some time because this will not be high priority and this stuff is really expensive. So next, I'm going to tell you about how his story influenced today's media. So Wilf Carter released a song called The Capture of Albert Johnson. The Canadian folk rock group Devin Coyote released the song The Ballad of Trapper John. Stanley G. Triggs released the song The Mad Trapper of Rat River in 1961. 
1972, a highly fictionalized version of the story was released in the movie The Mad Trapper. I think I heard of that one. Maybe. There's a couple movies. Um, in Also in 1972, Thomas P. Kelly released his book, Rat River Trapper. In 1974, Doug Hutton released his song, Rat River Trapper. In, an American film titled Challenge to be Free was released in 1975 because, of course, the Americans have to make it about freedom and... Freedom and dignity. And... The man restricting their freedom. And guns. Of course. All about them guns. So, and to spice it up, dynamite. <laughs> so the story, of course, they couldn't let it take place in Canada because they don't do that. Which is a whole other thing that I won't fucking get into, but I just thought of something I could rage about. <laughs> really? So the story in the movie took place in Alaska, which, frankly, it's basically Canada. I mean, come on. Let's not kid ourselves. We just didn't buy it from Russia. The character that was supposed to be Albert Johnson was just referred to as Trapper or Trapper Man. They didn't give him a name. And in it, they portrayed him as a man who lived peacefully with the wild animals in the wilderness, similar to Johnny Appleseed. Did he sing to the pigeons? Probably. And the bears and the moose in Alaska. In the movie, his initial interference was only due to rival trappers trapping inhumanely. So in the movie, of course, because they gotta take a hit at indigenous people, so in real life, he was fucking with the indigenous people's traps. In the movie, he fucked with other trappers' traps because they were being inhumane. I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. It's trapping. A lot of the time, shit's not instant. It's not... Humane. At least not to vegans and vegetarians. Or just moral people. Yes, but you gotta do what you gotta do when you live in no, I know, the middle of like, the wilderness. Yeah. Is this a story about Snow White or a fucking trapper guy? Right? The book, so moving on from that. But I would um, be interested to check it out to see, like, and, like, jot down all the inconsistencies. But anyways, the book The Mad Trapper by Ruby Wybe Webb was released in 1980. Charles Bronson's movie Death Hunt was released in 1981, where, again, they made Johnson the character to feel bad for. And in this one, Johnson was portrayed as a freedom-loving, sympathetic man. And RCMP Constable Edgar Millen, who Johnson killed in real life, was portrayed as a middle-aged alcoholic who led the pursuit of his capture instead of being shot by him. So they felt the need to shit on a dead man who was just doing his fucking job. We love victim blaming. I'll be, I mean, I know we were, like, bashing the RCMP earlier, but, like, also, like... You can't just, unless that dead person is, like, 
Charles Manson or Hitler or like we know is a really bad person, you can't just shit on them. But anyways. Oh, yes. And the Bush pilot Wap May was portrayed as a Royal Canadian Air Force captain who was shot down and killed after he started wildly shooting at members of the posse. So they literally made everyone except for Johnson the bad guy. Everyone except they for made the- everyone but the bad guy out to be a bad guy. Yep. Nice. Yep. Also in 1981, Thomas York released his book titled Trapper. And the book titled The Death of Albert Johnson, Mad Trapper of Rat River from Heritage House Publishing Company, LTD, was released in 1986. In 1989, Dick North released his book, Track Down, which I talked about earlier when um, Dick North was searching for his identity. The Mad Trapper by Helen Katz was released in 2004. And The Man Who Didn't Fit In by Dick North again was released in 2005, which no. I... Sorry, wait. Dick North? Yeah, that's his name. book called Can't Get It In? The Man Who Didn't Fit In. No. <laughs> I think there was a faulty connection there for a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somebody's mind's in the gutter. That's me. Which I also believe the last two that I said were both books. I realize I did not clarify that, but I think they were. And then Myth Merchant Films released their documentary of the exhumation of his body in 2009. Also in 2009, Barbara Smith released her book, The Mad Trapper, Unearthing a Mystery. And Band State of the Earth released their song, Rat River Bluesman, in 2015. Now I'm going to pause real quick, and we're going to listen to a little bit of that song, and then I'll record your reaction, because I just think that'll be a fun thing. So I can't find that song, uh, River Rap Bluesman, so I'm going to play for you um, some of of Doug Hutton's song, Rat River Trapper, from 1974. So, thoughts? You know, I don't even think you need to say anything about this in a podcast. You can just play the song, and it explains everything perfectly. Yeah, it really did, although... Nice and offensive, too. Yes, I mean, it was released in 74, so, I mean, that's bound to happen to be a little offensive. Um, Also, again, kind of painting him a little... He just wanted to be left alone. I can't understand him, but I understand that he just wanted to be left alone. Okay, well, he didn't have to fucking shoot people. Also, I did not... He didn't add that in the song. Yeah, really. I mean, it might have. We only listened to 55 seconds out of, like, three and a half minutes, but... Yeah, good point. That do be our uh, attention span, though. Well, yeah. I feel like... I We already know the story... We've been over this. Have you not been paying attention, listener? Yeah, God. Are you fucking listening? Why aren't you listening to me? Why are you here? Because of COVID. Oh, right. Yeah, same. (laughs) Oh, 
right, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could forget. And on that lovely note, I think we'll end there. Oh, no. Oh, and um, I did, for some reason, not write down my sources for this, but... Um, 99% it was mostly Wikipedia. Usually is. Actually, I might have, you know, Dark Poutine, which I listen to and I love, um, they did an episode, so I might have used some of their sources. They always upload all their sources, so Wikipedia and whatever they used. Just use them. Go to them. Go <laughs> yeah. check out their podcast. Not that they need any hype. Yeah. You can always use some hype, though. Yeah. Alrighty. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Disturbed Minds. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. And don't forget to follow the show on Instagram for show details, pictures, and more at Disturbed Minds Pod.